Good morning. It's good to see you all. Happy Mother's Day. That's one of my favorite things uh, to say to men. Hey, happy Mother's Day. Because they have no idea how to respond. They're like, happy Mother's Day to you too, dude. Hey, Dean, happy Mother's Day, bro. Yeah, there you go. You see, just like, just like that. Been through uh, all the transitions of Mother's Day as a male. This is funny. It's okay to laugh. Sometimes people are like, you know, like, hey, a little amen, a little hallelujah would be helpful. And they're like, oh, that's not what people do in this church. And I'm like, we can start, though. I mean, second service last week, there was this guy who was like, come on, come on. And I'm like, you have no idea how much that helps. So if the, if the sermon is dying, just pretend. Like, oh, hallelujah. Come on. Suck it up. Bring it. There we go. All that kind of stuff, right? Just letting you know it's okay. For some of you are like, what is wrong with him? A lot. That's why we're doing this series, which our thesis is, Emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It is not possible for a Christian to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. We're on week five of diving deep into our emotions. And for Mother's Day, we are talking about listening, which moms are like, finally. (laughs) So we can title this, you are a mother, demand people to listen to you or hope or whatever. One of the things we talked about week one was the Apostle Paul explained it like this. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Like I said in that week, there's a lot of times we just read this in weddings. And we focus on, man, love and what love is. But we kind of miss that Paul is pretty much saying, you can have the most amazing spiritual gifts. Man, you can have prophecy. You can teach. You can have discernment. You can have this ability to give great advice. You can think of yourself as a spiritual statue. But if you don't have love... If you don't have the ability to emotionally relate to other people and engage with what's going on in their life, you really have nothing because they're in conflict with one another. See, assuming that we're spiritually mature as we operate with emotional immaturity can be a breakdown. This week, we're going to start to pull some things together. And this, the ending, I'm just letting you know, the ending of this sermon is going to be very different than what we normally do, just because it's going to be just super, super specific and practical. I'm just going to talk about some things that I think. But this week is about listening. And I have two points, and then a few sub points under the two points. But here's my points. Listening requires presence. And listening requires incarnation. Okay. Presence and incarnation. I'm going to talk about why we should listen, and then I'm going to go talk about how we should listen. But at the end of the day, we all need and want to be heard. And at the end of the day, if we're not hearing from each other, we're not really relating to each other. 
There was a theologian named Martin Buber who talks about how we listen by comparing two kinds of relationships, if you will. He describes them as the I-it relationship or the I-thou relationship. And he proposed that these are two distinct ways we engage. The I towards an object would be an I-it, and I towards another person would be an I-thou. And the breakdown that happens, he says, is when we approach another person as an it versus a thou. You see, it was a tragic event in Buber's own life where he came to grips with this and understanding this paradigm. Up until that time, he was seen as an amazing theologian, someone who understood the eternal, unlike other people. people he understood who God was and had this amazing presence with God, but he showed little concern for the temporal. He showed little concern or ability about people and the pain they faced. He just didn't engage. He experienced great guilt, though, after a very traumatic experience where a young man had come to him because of how he perceived his ability to engage with the eternal and must have thought, this has to be a deeply spiritually mature man who later that same day took his own life. You see, the guilt Buber felt was not that he had somehow failed to remove the young man's despair, but he had failed to be fully present with him. See, he was so preoccupied, he said, by his own experiences with God that he failed to bring the full resources of his attention to their conversation. Man, we do this. We can be so engaged with certain things about God and put on an above-the-surface thing like we talked about last week and not engage with the person right next to us. In regard to that story, Scazzaro, who we've been talking about for emotional, healthy uh, spirituality, writes this. For Buber, the experience felt like a judgment on his whole way of life. He realized that it is possible to have profound spiritual experiences and a faith that can move mountains, but that such a faith is worth nothing without deeply present love for people. You see, when we relate to a person as a means to an end, we treat them as an it, an object, a transaction. But when we relate to people as sacred or holy, as fellow image bearers, we treat them as a, as a thou. For example, an I-it relationship is kind of like distracted, goal-oriented. Like whenever you're with people, you're still thinking about the things that you need to do. Or an I-thou relation is fully attentive and listening-oriented. An I-it relationship is kind of judgmental. It's kind of conditional acceptance. I-thou would be non-judgmental, radical acceptance. An I-it relationship is like a monologue, a debate. Make my point and whatever it is. I told you I was right or I told you that wasn't going to work. And an I-thou relationship would be more dialogue, exploration, curiosity, about what the other might be thinking. And I... <laughs> Thank you. Withhold myself. I, I it, withhold myself, limited sharing. And I thou, offer myself, vulnerable, self-disclosure. And I it, relationship would be closed, unwilling to learn or change. But an I thou is open, 
willing to learn and change. Now, I know that this piece around hearing and listening, it's kind of like the word trust as well. We throw it around and use it as some kind of leverage. And I think in all of our hearts as humans, there's this desire, I want to be a better listener. And we feel bad when we're not. But we've developed some really bad patterns that are so hard to break. So today, there's not condemnation. There's no judgment. If, the, if you're feeling like you're, man, I, I'm just a bad, I'm a bad person. That is the enemy telling you this. What the Spirit wants you to hear today, just like the gospel, there's a chance for a restart and re-engage. Because this can be seen as unhealthy and healthy togetherness. And unhealthy togetherness is an I-it where we want or expect the other person to think and feel the same way we do. But healthy togetherness says the individuals respect each other's separateness. Allowing the other to have their own thoughts, their own feelings, their own fears. And it's okay. But you partner with them. Author David Augsburger writes this fascinating line. He writes this. Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. Let that sink in. Being heard is so close to being loved for the average person, they're almost indistinguishable. Meaning someone can say, you know I love you. But if it's not practiced and engaged in how you interact and how you hear each other, and how you're listening to each other, it is a banging gong like Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. We find throughout the wisdom literature of Scripture, it says the same thing. Fools define no pleasure in understanding, but delight in expressing their own opinions. To answer before listening, this is folly and shame. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but the one who has understanding draws them out. And the one that Christian community and people know and rely on go to so often in the book of James. When he writes, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Is that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. This is hard. Is it not? I mean, there's times, this is funny that I'm talking about listening and I'm talking and you just have to listen, you know. It should be like a dialogue. Like I have a counterpoint, Dale. And it's hard. I mean, I was just coming up and, you know, chit-chat with Lisa. I'm like, this one's hard. Why? Because I'm a sojourner with you. <laughs> like there are times I feel like, man, I can listen really well. And when people are like, oh, Dale, you're such a good listener. And in my head, I'm like, you'd have no idea whether I'm listening to you or not. I'm a good sitter. I can sit quietly for a while. Yeah, there are times when I'm good. And then there's times where, like, I can stand in front of you and my wife's sitting there knowing everything about how I do with this. This isn't about grades. This is about how we can do this together. In the English translation of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's transformative book, Life Together. And I say the English translation because whenever I quote him, my good friend who's from Germany, he's like, he didn't actually say that because he wrote it in German. So I have to say, for his benefit, the translation of his German book. 
It's just how my brother thinks. And he writes about um, Christian community. And his context was there was an underground seminary during the rise of Nazism in Germany where he's teaching and living with these people and understanding what Christian community is really about. Let me read this to you. The first service one owes to others in community involves listening to them. Just as our love for God begins with listening to God's word, the beginning of love for other Christians is listening, is learning to listen to them. God's love for us is shown by the fact that God did not, not only gives us God's word, but he also lends us God's ear. We do God's work for our brothers and sisters when we learn to listen to them. So often Christians, especially preachers, thank you, Dietrich, think that their only service is always to have to offer something when they are together with other people. They forget that listening can be a greater service than speaking. Many people seek a sympathetic ear and do not find it among Christians. Because these Christians are talking, even when they should be listening. For Christians who can no longer listen to one another will soon no longer be listening to God either. They will always be taking, talking, even in the presence of God. The death of the spiritual life starts here. Those who cannot listen along patiently will always be talking past others. And finally, no longer will even notice it. Those who think their time is too precious to spend listening will never really have time for God and others, but only for themselves and their words and plans. Dietrich, what do you really think? This one's like, whew. Because we are so deeply connected, if we truly believe that the commandment that Jesus gave, at the end of the day, love the Lord your God and love others as yourself. We're like, that's a great mantra. But Dietrich takes this and connects it so much that he says, if you're not even listening to your brother, how are you listening to God? Because most likely if you're listening to God, it shows up in how you're listening to your brother. If you want to know, am I listening to God? Are you listening to another? It's right in front of us. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to gauge. And sometimes I would even say when people tell me, like, why isn't God speaking to me? And I'm like, tell me about how you listen. Well, then how do you listen to God? Well, how do you listen to your friend? How do you listen to your wife? How do you listen to your husband? And they just look at me. I'm like, that is all connected. It's not like if I listen well to my brother, then God will start talking. If you learn to listen well in human, human relationships, you're going to start to hear that God's talking as well because it's our posture. So here's my first point. Listening requires presence. Presence with people, presence with God. And like I said, I'm on a journey with this one as well. But here's one of the things that has been incredibly helpful for me probably in the past handful of years in so many ways. It's a shift from my family of origin as well. Here's what I've learned. That I can listen to you, I can be present with you, and I can still disagree with you. Because my tendency was I thought disagreeing meant I needed to get my point across as soon as I could. For some reason, I wrongly connected patience with agreement. 
like some kind of argument. Once I learn that I can listen to you and I want to listen to you and want to listen to people, and I can be present with you, but in my head I'm like, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I can be present and listen. Because we so quickly push away what we're hearing if we disagree with it. I'm telling you the biggest difference in my life when I am engaging with people who believe something differently than I do, whether I'm coaching on the football field or doing right along with policemen now, we don't agree on certain things, but I just listen. And it comes out. And all of a sudden they ask what I think, and I share what I think. We have wrongly engaged as followers of Jesus that our sole role, that their sole role is to tell people they're wrong. And we don't actually engage and listen. It's Henry Nouwen, he wrote this. To care means, first of all, to be present to each other. From experience, you know that those who care for you become present to you. When they listen, they listen to you. And when they speak, they speak to you. Their presence is a healing presence because they accept you on your terms and they encourage you to take your own life seriously. As we talked about last week, there's that moment of transformation as we find ourselves kind of wedged up against the wall that stops change. And one of the signs that we're at that wall that kind of blocks us, that we either retreat or we just kind of camp out there, is that we reject input. Or resist change. But I think one of the things is that we just stop listening to. We stop listening to others. We don't want a, a differing opinion. So we just kind of gather certain ways with each other. And this is the kicker. This cannot be done in isolation. Even though intuitively, like, I'm going to go protect myself. I, I don't want to listen to something that I disagree with. So either we go into isolation by ourselves, or we go into public isolation. What's public isolation? We only sit and talk to other people that we already agree with. And we rally ourselves up. And we just find, oh, I already agree with these people, so this is who I'm going to be with and how I want to be. That is just like private isolation. It's public isolation. Because we so much don't want to actually hear something from somebody else. This actually wedges you against that wall even more. From the book Relational Soul. And I have some longer quotes today because I need them to carry some of this because I'm still learning, just to be honest with you. They write this. Because of our relational design, we cannot change without the presence of others. Changing the way we learn to attach, resetting the thermostat of our learned level of intimacy and recalibrating our implicit emotional memory is, mo is ultimately beyond our ability. We can modify some aspects of our capacity, but satisfying relationships require a transformation we cannot make through self-help methods. We must have the presence of others. Because remember, we are created for and by relationships. A transforming presence must be personal. We need the actual presence of another to experience a fundamental shift in our relational capacity. A transforming relationship is not generic or virtual. It is concrete and particular. There is a shift in our relational capacity when a particular person shows up in a particular way in our life. Let me read that last line again. There is a shift 
in our relational capacity, health, ability, when a particular person shows up in a particular way in our life. Man, that is the call of followers of Jesus. In the most simplest way, will you show up in a particular way in a particular person's life to help them shift in their emotional capacity and healing? But, or and, it is absolutely essential to help each other succeed in listening. I believe in this so much. It is absolutely say we, we should help each other. Not just put the weight, because right now you might be feeling, man, I'm feeling the weight of being a bad listener. I'm going to try to be better. But this is a partnership. This is a team, whether it's a, a, a friendship or, or a, a marriage or whatever it is. Refuse to use listening as a weapon. You don't do this. You don't listen to me. Instead, what about building the skill together? We'll get super specific at the end. Say something like, and, and, and I don't know what the right words are for your relationship, but say something like, man, let's, let's both be better listeners. Let's both be that particular person at that particular time for you. Or clarify, hey, I'm counting on you to be that particular person in that particular time for me. So let's commit to listening better. As Jesus said, maybe you need to say, I'll take the log out of my eye as you take the little speck out of yours. And let's go to Jesus together and learn to listen. Let me explain it this way. Have you ever taught somebody how to drive? I've taught one person how to drive. <laughs> she is an amazing driver. For those of you who are like, does your daughter get embarrassed when you talk about her? No, this is like her greatest dream in the world. My dad's <laughs> talking about me in front of everyone. There you go. I taught one person how to drive the first time I think we got into the car. This is just how I remember it. She'll correct me later. I may or may not listen. We get in the car and all of a sudden, she because this is her dream, her dream was to drive and listen to Taylor Swift. So it's like her first driving lesson. She pops in Taylor Swift, turns it up, and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a big Taylor Swift fan, but I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, Dad, this is how I always thought driving should be. You need your tunes. And I'm like, you need to learn how to stop and turn the car first. So we would practice out in this parking lot and I was driving my big truck. And so just driving around, I'm like, hey, try to park the truck in this spot and tell me when you think you're in the spot. So she parks it and gets out and we're like in four spots. And I'm like, you see what Taylor Swift has done to your brain? I'm just kidding you. <laughs> we would go and drive and, I, and she'd be cruising down the road and she didn't like the middle of the lane. She really liked the... Um, the place where bicycles are, you know? And so I would count one, two, seven, ten. She's like, what are you counting? Like the amount of people you would have hit if you were in this lane. You got to scoot over. But whenever we're teaching someone to drive, we probably say things like minimize the distractions, right? Pay attention to the road. You're just learning the rules and how it all fits together. Make sure you stop and look at all the things that we say. Because we know that as you're driving a 4,000-pound piece of machinery, there's 4,000-pound piece of machinery coming at you. 
And it's something to pay attention to as you're doing it, right? We minimize the distractions. And this is so true in listening as well. Because when we engage in conversations or engage with those people we love and we don't do well in this one, it can be emotionally as destructive as two 4,000 pounds of metal coming at each other as well. One of the breakdowns I found in listening is one person has been dwelling on one thing. You know, you're kind of thinking about something. The other person's thinking about something. And all of a sudden it becomes verbal. And you've got to shut down your head for a second. The skilled listener or the really mature person might be able to shift like that. I'm not that person yet. But when we value listening enough to do a few things, like clarify expectations, like, hey, I want to talk to you about something. Is this a good time to talk? Or we set aside time for communication. Hey, on Sunday night after dinner, can we just sit down and chat about a few things? And I know that may feel weird, but if you did on a regular basis, like Sunday night is talk time or Monday night is talk time, it's not always going to feel like, what do you want to bring up? You don't have to be nervous about bringing something up. It's just talk and listening time. Just as certain nights of the week might be pizza night or popcorn night or whatever else, I think there could be a value enough that like, hey, this night of the week is talk time. Or coffee with a friend where you talk and you listen. This may feel clunky, but not being heard is destructive. See, this is also the danger of communication over text or email or direct message. Because when the sender is writing it, they want to talk. But often when the person is reading it or receiving it, they're not in a position to talk. And it becomes explosive. There's a big difference between the written word for transfer of information and using it to transfer emotions. I'm encouraging you, don't do it. Don't transfer emotions just in written words when you want to share it. That is a breakdown in your relationships. Because it seems to me that Jesus refused something. He refused to accept that people were growing in their love for God in a way that did not translate to their love for other people. He made it so clear when he said, a new command I give you to love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Here's my final point on this point. If the measure of how well we love is connected to how well we listen, then followers of Jesus should be known as the greatest listeners in the world. We should be. That should be our leading edge at all time. It should be, I need to help find a Christian because they can listen. That is not our reputation right now. Think of the people who came to Calvary Church is like, you know, I'm just learning. I'm just understanding. I don't really do church. But I felt listened to. I felt heard. The second point, really quick, because I have a lot of major subpoints and I'm going to go fast. Listening requires incarnation. Incarnation basically is my presence moves into the place of another person's world. What they're thinking. Incarnation is the biblical model of love where Jesus or God was the quality, the glory, the essence, and the love of God, and then he added human flesh to it. And there's no better way for God to show his love for humanity than to incarnate into the world physically and emotionally. 
John shows this to us, right? The beginning of his gospel. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Eugene Peterson, in his translation of the Bible, the message, wrote, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And we saw the glory with our own eyes. You see, this is the model of love. To show up incarnationally into another's world. My world and Lisa's world are different worlds during the day. But as we engage, I need to show up in her world. And then I ask her to show up in mine. And as you listen incarnationally at a heart level with empathy, empathy and listen to the words and emotions, it's a two-way street. I mean, there's certain things as speakers or talkers we should also learn. Speak in I or keep your statements brief and stop to let the listener paraphrase. But for a few minutes, I just want to talk about how we listen. This actually moves us from just being inspired to be better to actually transformation of being better. So this is really super specific, okay? If you're in the Wednesday night study of uh, relational help relationship, you'll be going through this as well. First one is this. Give the person your full attention. I would say you need to set aside time to do this. Kind of like teaching someone to drive. Be aware of the distractions. What is grabbing for your attention? I know that Lisa's favorite thing was when I could pause TV. You know, when, she, that, when that came into reality, it was a while ago now. If I'm watching a game, she goes, you can just push pause. And I'm like, you just push pause at the worst time. Yes, I can push pause. But I'm even talking about other times where you're just like, I'm going to show up in a particular way to this particular person with planning. Give the person your full attention. This one in itself is the turmoil that we continue to swim in, don't we? We just do. Are we listening? Secondly, as you listen, begin to step into the speaker's world. Try to feel what they're feeling. Listen to their words and their emotions. For me, I, what I'm learning and I have learned is I start slow and I just realize, hey, I'm going to be here for a minute. <laughs> and that's okay. Like breathe and listen. Because one of the biggest mistakes that we also will make, we will react to the initial emotions. And if we lock onto that one, we're going to miss what's really going on underneath because there's more. Hang in there. If we look at last week's analogy, there's the surface and then there's what's under the surface. Deep incarnational listening that changes relationships and shows up for people in a particular way is patient to get to what's behind it. It may come out of feeling attacking at first, but hang in there. Get a little deeper. Because rarely does the person speaking begin with what's most important. Let it go. Because there are more. Third thing. Avoid judging, interpreting, and fixing. Man, I am good at this. I'm really not. Come on. This is what most relationships do. I will try to fix you. This is actually how we try to dismiss people, actually. 
I can be done with you if I just come up with an answer good enough for you. Here's a quote that's a little long, but hang in there with me because it is so good. Parker J. Palmer wrote this. We need to understand why the habit of fixing, saving, advising, and setting each other straight has such a powerful grip on our lives. There are times, of course, when that habit is benign, when what grips us is simple compassion. You see, you have a problem, you share it with me, and wanting help, I offer you counsel in the hope that it will be useful. So far, so good. But the deeper your issue goes, the less likely it is that my advice will be of any real value. I may know how to fix your car or help you write a paper, but I do not know how to salvage your falling career, to repair your broken marriage, or save you from despair. My answer to your deepest difficulties merely reflects what I would do if I were you, which I am not. And even if I were your clone, my solution would be of little use to you unless it arose from within your soul and you claimed it as your own. You see, our habit of advising each other reveals its shadow side. If the shadow could speak its logic, I would say something like this. If you take my advice, you will surely solve your problem. If you take my advice but, fall, but fail to, to solve your problem, you did not try hard enough. And if you fail to take my advice, I did the best I could, so I'm covered. No matter how things come out, I no longer need to worry about you or your vexing problem. Come on. The shadow behind the fixes we offer for issues that we cannot fix is, ironically, the desire to hold each other at bay. It's actually a strategy for abandoning each other while appearing to be concerned. Whew. Come on, Parker. Perhaps this emotion, this right here, perhaps this explains why one of the most common laments of our time is that no one really sees me, hears me, or understands me. How can we understand another when instead of listening deeply, we rush to repair that person in order to escape further involvement? The sense of isolation and invisibility that marks so many lives, not least the lives of young people, whom we constantly try to fix, is due in part to a mode of helping that allows us to dismiss each other. Whew. You see, this pressure is that you need to have some rules that we're not here to fix each other. When Lisa and I were just journeying through how to communicate well and having some things, we just try to be clear one of the most brilliant things my wife said to me because I had this addiction to try to fix things to her. She said, I want to tell you something. At the end, I will let you know whether you can respond or not. <laughs> this is a true story. So she will tell me things, da 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 da, and then she'd pause and she's like, no response, thank you. And I'm like, really? Because I got a lot of good things. And then later that day, I'm like, do you want a response now? Nope. And then later she would say, I want to tell you something and I'll let you know. And sometimes she says, I'll, you know, I'll give you 30 seconds. Give it your best thoughts. But it was just clear. Because what she was saying, I want to be heard, is the greater value than your input at this time. And it comes from Clarity. A few other things real quick. Boom. Reflect back to that person who, what you understood them to say while acknowledging their emotions. 
This one is so big. And I'm not just talking about, I mean, it could be. So I'm just saying like, uh, hey, what do you want for dinner? Okay, what I hear you saying is that you want to know what I want for dinner. I mean, I'm talking about bigger conversations. But this one is so important. What I, like I said, I don't have to agree with them. I'm just saying what I heard. Because what we do is someone talks and then we interpret what they're saying. But this practice, and I do this with people, sometimes I'm the third person, that someone will say, this is what I'm, da, 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 this is the situation, I'm, and um, this is what I did. And I say, what did you hear? And so often they interpret what they heard. I go, is that what they said? And the person goes, no, that's not what I said. What I said was this. And this person supposed to go, what I heard you say is that you don't like to do X, Y, and Z. It's that level of saying, this is what I heard. It's clarity. It's elevating how important it is. And then you say this part. Confirm what they said and how they felt was correct. That is the most powerful thing. Someone says to you, man, I'm really frustrated that you didn't show up at my game last night and you told me I would, and you told me you would. And then I would say back, man, I, I, what I heard you say is you're, super, you're frustrated because I didn't show up at your game that I get that correct. Because also what you're doing is you're giving space to the person to kind of change, you know, like, well, that's not exactly what I meant. Okay. Versus interpreting. I do that a lot. All right. This is what I heard. Versus just showing up for that particular person in a particular way. Next one, ask. Is there more? Or what I've really learned to say is, tell me more about that. When someone says something to me with such emotion or that I don't understand, I go, tell me more about that. Is there more? Like, what's really happening there? Be curious. Don't assume. And the last one is this. Repeat the process and the person, until the person feels heard and you understand where they're coming from. Now I know as we finish up, you might say, man, this is a lot of work. Yes, becoming an emotionally mature person is a lot of work. It just is. And when we continue to take shortcuts in this essential area of our life, it will continue to be destructive. Because as David Augsburger said, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're indistinguishable. So this starts with listening to others. So slow down. Maybe have the ministry of ears to other people. Because then I think we start to understand how we listen to God. Because when we start listening to others and God, we start listening to the depths of even our own soul. As one elementary student said, listening is simply wanting to hear. Do we want? Church, what I want for us, I want us to be a place where people come and they experience the power of being listened to. In the lobbies, in the chairs, at lunch. And that we're talking to each other in a way where we all want to hear what is being said. That is how they will know we are Christians by our love. Let's pray. Just take a moment to practice listening to God. Being present with him.
God, what do you want to say to me? You know, the enemy does, he wants to use this as condemnation or shame or you're not good at this, you're not good at that. But the gospel is about rebirth, restart, renew. And there might be some relationships where I just would zero in on that one, like that particular person to show up in a particular way. How can you engage with who that person is and just say, hey, let's, let's, let's just be better at this together and it's going to take some work, but just make sure we're hearing each other and listening. Maybe ask for forgiveness. And my encouragement is don't just make promises to be better, to do the work. Because this one is deep. This one is pivotal. This can be the escalation of amazing relationships or the deconstruction of relationships right here. So be open. Father, we thank you. Help us to not just be hearers of the word, but be doers, Father. Spirit, thank you that you never stop working. Even when we're not in a posture of receiving, you continue to work and grow. May we partner better together with Help us, Father, this week to be that particular person for that particular time really, really well. Help us to learn and grow. May we cast off the shame and condemnation of maybe failing to do well in the past. But the gospel is about today as well. It's what we receive in your name. Amen. Man, you got a full day of church already. Sorry about that. I'm not sorry. Next week we're going two hours. No, I'm just joking. I'll be tired. Right afterwards we have Connect Gathering. If you're newer or just want to meet and connect with us, uh, we'd love to for a few minutes. But as you go, God bless you. Have an amazing, amazing week. And I do encourage you to discover how you can be that particular person for that particular time with somebody just by listening well. God bless you. Have a great day. But he came and he died.